Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 162nd videocast, 152nd podcast for the week ending November 23rd, 2022. We're doing it a little bit early this week because tomorrow is Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. A lot to be grateful for and wishing all of you a happy Thanksgiving with you and yours. Uh, we'll do media quick, and we've got a lot of great stuff to cover this week, So uh, even though it's a shortened week. So first, I'd like to thank... Uh, Kristen Scholler, Ali Thompson, Andrew Balamachi, and Chris Samson for uh, having me on Cheddar on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange yesterday. That was a great time, a lot of fun to do it back in person. Uh, last time I was on the floor of the exchange uh, was just right before the pandemic. I was doing a hit uh, and then they closed it down for a while, and now it's nice to see them reopening. So that was a lot of fun. We'll get into that one in more detail later on. Want to thank uh, Karina Mitchell and Phil Yin for including this clip about the PPI on uh, CGTN America this week. Also want to thank Chibuke Ogu for including me in his article on Reuters this week. So moving right along, we just had the Fed minutes come out. I uh, love seeing the dollars down 1% again. Uh, that's been a core theme for us this year that the dollar would eventually start to weaken and as a result emerging markets in China would start to get bid and we've been seeing that in recent weeks so it's a move in the right direction as we've always been ready for fits and starts we'll talk about some of the fits and some of the starts this week but um, the key thing with the minutes was that the Fed officials saw a slower pace of hikes appropriate soon. We knew that was coming. December would be 50 basis points. And then February, we'll see. You know, right now in the market is 50, 50, 25, 50 December, 50 February, 25 March. I think there's an awful lot of time between December and February for a lot of data to come in because looking at some of the jobs numbers today, which we're going to talk about, uh, and we've got an NFP and a CPI before the December meeting. Uh, and then you've got, um, one, two, at least two more jobs reports and two more inflation prints before the February meeting. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me that February is 25 and, and we're all done. Uh, I think the reason the market was initially up, one, it's light volume, but two, and it looks like it's still up, uh, is um, they always talk exceedingly hawkish and it was less hawkish than people would would have uh, anticipated. So uh, here are a couple quotes. The substantial majority of the participants judged that a slowing in the pace of increase would likely soon be appropriate, uh, etc. The uncertain lags and magnitudes associated with effects of monetary policy actions on the economic activity inflation were among the reasons cited regarding why such an assessment was important. This is very important. If you remember the last Fed meeting when um, they acknowledged the lagged effect of monetary policy. The market ripped higher. And then uh, one of the reporters asked Powell in the press conference uh, what he thought about the market moving higher. And he literally ripped the market limb from limb after that uh, and got so ultra hawkish and, and, and basically uh, turned the market right around. Uh, so it's nice to see them re-acknowledge that uh, because we're seeing it in the leading economic indicators, which we'll get to later. But here's a key paragraph that I uh, pointed out from the minutes themselves. Participants mentioned a number of considerations that would likely influence the pace 
of future increases in the target range for the federal funds rate. These considerations included the cumulative tightening of monetary policy to date, the lags between monetary policy actions and the behavior of economic activity and inflation and economic and financial developments. A number of participants observed that as monetary policy approached a stance that was sufficiently restrictive to achieve the committee's goals, it would become appropriate to slow the pace of increase in the target rate for the federal funds rate. In addition, a substantial majority of participants judged that a slowing in the pace of increase would likely soon be appropriate. A slower pace in these circumstances would better allow the committee to assess progress towards its goals of maximum employment and price stability. The uncertain lags and magnitudes associated with the effects of monetary policy actions on economic activity and inflation were among those reasons cited regarding why such an assessment was important. A few participants commented that slowing the pace of increase would reduce the risk of instability in the financial system. Earlier in the Fed minutes, they recognized what happened in the uh, gilt market in the UK. So they are cognizant that the bond market will slap them upside the head if they go off the rails. Uh, A few other participants noted that before slowing the pace of monetary policy increases, it would be advantageous to wait until the stance of policy was more clearly in a restrictive territory and there were more concrete signs of inflationary pressures were receding significantly. Well, that was November 2nd. Since then, you've had the PPI print and the CPI print that is starting to show them uh, that, in fact, inflation has peaked. Moving on to China really quickly. Uh, China growth target should be at least 5%, PBOC advisor says. Uh, all of this is fine. JD reports higher quarterly sales to find Ch- uh, China downturn fears. And then there's some commentary by... Um, oh, okay. Uh, there was a, another one by JD basically acknowledging... Oh, Baidu. Okay, here it is. Uh, Baidu beat what Bloomberg Intelligence says. Tencent and Alibaba's bottom line beats have helped stabilize their earnings outlook, suggesting that along with China's policy pivot, the worst may be over. While Tencent's Meituan divestment drove some concerns for the rest of the sector, the move is in line with tech regulatory reform and the impact on core operations should be limited. Uh, so this was on Baidu's uh, surprise sales gain as investors eye turnaround. I think we had Brian something or other uh, submitted a question on that one. So his his investment is, is doing well, it looks like. So good, good on him. Um, okay, now opinion follows trend. We did have that move off the lows. And then we got hit with this uh, record high COVID cases in China in the last few days. But it's interesting that the stocks are kind of holding up after that big move, given that uh, their COVID cases are literally at all time highs. Um, and, uh, that may prove to be a positive thing because now they're going to get desperate and probably accept an mRNA vaccine. We had mentioned last week that, uh, Moderna was in there. They accepted giving it to expats in Hong Kong. I I think if they'll find if, uh, (laughs) you know, looking at the data from around the world, they're going to want to get that out to their population as soon as possible. But this is kind of normal with the pandemic trend. If you look over the last three years, you have three waves. Uh, this was their first, this was their second, and this is their third. We had our brutal Omicron, which I think was our third. Uh, so this will be, you know, this too shall pass. And I think the market is kind of desensitized to it at the moment. And uh, the key thing that I would say about this is that I uh, like this article by Evelyn Chang in CNBC China may have passed the point of return as COVID infections soar, meaning uh, COVID zero no longer becomes an option. It's out of their control. At the end of the day, 
uh, I think in, obviously the vaccines helped the Western world, but going about your business is what helped the Western world because we created some sense of short-term immunity and, and getting exposure. People who are vaccinated could get it uh, and then build antibodies and go about their work and have antibodies for six months or so. Uh, and they basically uh, don't. So they have a lot of hosts over there. I think the net positive is they're going to have to pivot to an mRNA vaccine uh, and COVID zero is going to be out of reach. Uh, so they're just going to have to live with it. And, and once they uh, cross that Rubicon, then it's off to the races and they'll be like the rest of the world and go on and uh, hit record highs in their economy. Uh, when that is, we'll see. But it seems like a complete tone change in the last two weeks. The fact that they were reopening and easing in the face of record cases is a positive in my book. Um, mind-bogglingly high cases. So that's that. Um, moving right along. Uh, China growth target. Okay, so they're they're shooting for the stars again. Buy Chinese stocks and sell big U.S. tech, says Michael Hartnett. Uh, Hartnett is the guy who publishes the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, which I think is the most important uh, data point I look at every single month and uh and and publish summaries of and speak about it on these podcast video casts um so they're they're basically making a case that you know big tech microsoft etc are uh overcrowded and um uh let's see the calls come amid a sharp rebound for stocks again as we've always said, opinion follows trend. You know, some of these stocks, uh, Alibaba included, was up 45% off their recent lows. Um, and the MSCI China of about 19% this month and the Hang Seng Index entering a bull market after surprise policy shifts from China government. Still, MSCI's gauge remains down 33% with investors put off by strict COVID measures and worry of Xi Jinping's vision for the markets. Before this month, Chinese equities uh, had seen a $6 trillion sell-off since their peak. So... Um, so he's basically saying that the valuations have become attractive, uh, and recently turned positive. Citigroup said that Beijing pivot from COVID zero, as well as supportive measures for the property sector should lift company earnings while Morgan Stanley raised its targets for the nation's stock gauges. So, uh, opinion follows trend. Uh, now next week with this little pullback, you'll probably see some skepticism. Oh my God, here we go again. This is just the normal back and fill to shake, shake out the people that jumped on it up here, shake them out and then run it back up. And, um, and I, and I think we're going to see some positive things come out of this. They're also doing a lot with this inhalable vaccine over there. So they're kind of uh, on with the process of we got to get people vaccinated, uh, every which way from Sunday and we got to go about business because they can't afford it anymore. They can't even afford the testing in some local regions. They, they test so much. Uh, Citigroup up, upgrades Hong Kong stocks, boosting buy China calls. So again, you know, after these core companies are up, you know, 40 something percent um, and things are moving ahead. So moving along, Hong Kong and China stocks have bottomed out. Strategist whose tweet kickstarted current rally in markets. Um, so he's calling for another 33 percent in the next six or so months. This is Hong Hao uh, of Grow Investment Group. And that's in the uh, South China Morning Post. China signals likely reserve requirement cut to aid growth. Again, more stimulus. Uh, China calls on banks to stabilize lending to property sector, etc. Ant's Alipay Plus sees 40% surge of online payments during um, Singles Day. So again, this is a, an embedded asset within ownership of Alibaba that few people are paying attention to. 
but actually had a monster development this week. Uh, China is set to fine Ant Group over $1 billion, signaling revamp nears the end. So that's what they do when they're done beating them up, is they find them, and then it's in the rearview mirror, and they shut the door, which um, uh, could pave the way for the company to secure a long-awaited financial holding company license, seek growth again, and eventually revive its plans for a public market debut. Uh, remember that the valuation when they were originally going to go public was $300 billion. As an Ant financial shareholder, you own one-third of that or $100 billion. So over the next couple of years, my guess is they'll be able to revive growth uh, back to those levels. The market will be uh, enthusiastic again as flows have come into emerging markets. Uh, and the valuation will be somewhere in that neighborhood. But cut it in half for the time being. It's 50 to $100 billion that you're getting no credit for that you'll start to get credit for as these things unwind. Um, moving right along. Uh, oh, uh, so this was uh, the Kainal, which we covered in last week's podcast video cast. By the way, I know there are a lot of new people joining this week. Uh, if you missed last week's podcast video cast, you can see all of them at hedgefundtips.com. Just scroll down on the right under categories and click where it says video cast weekly recap or podcast. And you can see all the episodes last week. We really went into detail on uh, Alibaba's earnings and also an auto supplier that we have a position in, um, that we're not going to go into as much detail this week because we're waiting for the announced refinancing transaction to go through in December, which we think is the next major catalyst. As it relates to Alibaba, the next major catalyst would be the PCAOB. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, Brendan Ahern over at, um, that runs the KWEB ETF, the $5 billion um, China ETF, he posted something last night uh, First off, the PCAOB is supposed to come to a decision in December. Uh, as we covered last week, we think that decision is going to be positive. Uh, otherwise, they would have had a press conference when it was over saying they're not sharing information. We're leaving. Uh, rather, they were able to get their audits done sooner than expected, which is why we're getting the decision sooner than expected. So sometime in December, uh, that will happen. But the PCAOB published its... Uh, 2023 budget to the SEC. The auditor of auditors has requested a budget of $349 million for next year, up from last year's $310 million, uh, 2021's $287 million, and 2020's $256 million. As a general uneducated observation, they write uh, that a healthy increase of 36% from 2020 to next year, I suppose the PCAOB staff is comprised of financial professionals, which requires higher pay. Traveling to and from Hong Kong, along with food and hotels, is expensive. Uh, maybe there will be more Hong Kong audits next year, which would require more travel and expenses and therefore a higher budget. So follow the money. He got this information from usafacts.org. Uh, I think that makes some sense. You know, why, why would the increase be so steep unless they were going to be going back and forth to China? And, uh, and on that basis, what that means is that the first three probably went better than expected in which case they won't be delisted, in which case we should find a bid from all of the reluctant hands. It's never been an issue in our investment thesis, but I think it just brings marginal buyers back to the table. 
Uh, GMC sales rising 12% yearly through 2025, mostly from EVs. That's great for our auto supplier, Cooper Standard, uh, once they get the refinancing done because their estimates were somewhat lower than that, uh, although they would benefit more. So it's really going to depend on the IHS estimates moving forward, but uh, we are seeing new car demand stay robust as used car demand weakens, which we had talked about uh, in previous months. Disney's Avatar The Way of the Water gets coveted China release, so that's moving in the right direction. Uh, this is a chart. I don't spend a lot of time on this kind of stuff, but I think this is the key to the market here. Uh, we mentioned last week that uh, we bought uh, a kind of a basket of semis in October for client accounts, and uh, um, serendipitously it coincided with Buffett's uh, similar idea where while most managers were sucking their thumbs waiting for China to invade Taiwan, he wrote a $4 billion check to buy Taiwan Semiconductor, which is trading at uh, 13 and a half times next year's earnings with a 21.5% five-year growth rate and a nice moat to boot. Uh, I think this is the key to the market as it relates to tech. If it can hold this kind of uptrend, I think we're in very, very good shape. Uh, and I think there is an opportunity there. And that's one of the pockets of tech that we're very interested in. Uh, Bob Iger returns to Disney CEO as Bob Chase Peck is ousted. This, this is hysterical. It, it was last week on the podcast that I said either Chapek cuts costs or he himself will be cut. And sure enough, it was the latter, not the former. Um, so, you know, what do you know? So Bob Iger is back in town. We love this investment long term. This is among, uh, as you'll hear in a minute, we're going to insert the interview from yesterday. Uh, one of the business blue chip companies trading at a 50%, you know, cut in half, uh, that when you look three to five years out, the businesses are going to be much bigger. Tremendous opportunity there for the long term. Uh, this I like. Hedge funds cut risk. Uh, betting stock market bounce is a bear trap. This is where the maximum uh, F, use your imagination, K-E-R-Y happens. Uh, to managers because they look and they say this is a trap and then it keeps pushing against them and then they get caught in the panic and they have to chase up. Um, uh, so I, I like the fact that there's a lot of skepticism for this rally. A lot of friends have been texting me that same skepticism in the industry uh, and uh, that's usually when it pushes higher when everyone has that similar mindset. Uh, Nobel laureate Paul Krugman says that U.S. rental market is cooling off and official price stats overestimate inflation threat. We agree. I can't believe, you know, this is the first time in my life I agree with anything Paul Krugman says, uh, you know, for the last few months. So God bless. The world is coming together. Uh, Flat-footed stock market and sentiment results. Uh, I started with this quote from Warren Buffett from 2008. Uh he said, fears regarding the long-term prosperity of the nation may many sound companies make no sense. These businesses will indeed suffer earnings hiccups as they always have. But most major companies will be setting new profit records 5, 10, and 20 years from now. Uh, what is likely, however, is the market will move higher, perhaps substantially so, well before either sentiment or the economy turns up. So if you wait for the robins to sing, spring will be over. And, um, you know, we, we said that uh, yesterday on um, Cheddar with Kristen. Uh, the key in this that you want to listen for, and we're going to play it right now, is that Chair Powell's hero, which is the former Fed chairman Paul Volcker, who squashed inflation in the early 80s, uh, 
what he did right in October 1982 that Chair Powell has yet to do in 2022, but could in coming weeks or months, and that would and probably produce a similar result moving forward. So listen in, and we'll be right back. And let's turn back now to the major indexes. I'm joined by Thomas Hayes, chair at Great Hill Capital. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks uh, for good to me. see you in person, finally Likewise. again. Yes, it's been a while. <laughs> Great to be here. Amid the pandemic, it's wonderful to have you. So a decent day, a decent day for stocks. Yeah, no question. And, yeah, what do you make of the market action? Well, I think, Kristen, no one is positioned for any good news, and you're seeing a little bit of a chase up. If we look back to the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey just about a week ago, we saw managers have the highest cash level still since the pandemic lows, since the great financial crisis lows, since the tech wreck lows. So any bit of good news is going to drive this market higher, and that's what we're seeing today. So, and I think what you're trying to tell me is that there is still a lot of money on the sidelines, right? Money that does, at some point, need to be put to work. No question about it. And people are worried about inflation. There's no question about it. Uh, but when you look back throughout history, even in 1982, which was the worst inflation bout, the S&P dropped only 27 percent. We dropped 25 percent peak to trough. In October of 1982, Volcker came out while inflation was still close to 7 percent, and he said, we may change tactics. And that's all he needed to say. Within four months, the market recovered all of its losses. Wow. Within a year, it was 20 percent above its all-time high. So I'm not saying that's going to happen necessarily sure. today, but we do have the favorability of seasonality post-midterm election. So on average, market's up 18 percent the 12 months after the election. Uh, and November through May is the best time to be in stocks. Well, let's go back to the Fed, because I think some people are expecting that, right? As soon as the stock market does start to turn, I think a lot of potential retirees are hoping that this stock market really does rip. Can yeah. Fed policy impact the stock market in that way? Yeah, it, it has impacted the stock market, and they've been talking down the stock market. Although we did have Mary Daly from San Francisco yesterday. She came out and she said that the financial conditions are so tight right now, it's as if the Fed funds rate is at 6%. She's a break from the consensus, which means they may be getting ready to dial things back, uh, in a sense, in December, going 50 basis points versus 75. We've had four emergency hikes, as you know. That's some serious tightening. So 50, maybe 25, and then maybe pause. If the market starts to sniff that out, people are not positioned for that, and you're going to see days like this over and over, and Santa may come to town. Uh, Santa may come, like, for the Santa Claus rally, right? You bet, you bet. Okay, well, that would be a positive. Yeah. Uh, last five trading days of this year, first two trading days of next year, Santa Claus rally good for more than a 1% gain on the S&P. Yeah, that's right. And and also you see some seasonality in, in December as well. You know, I, I like Warren Buffett. He says, if you wait for the Robins to sing, it's already spring. Everyone's looking for these earnings revisions to come down, okay? Earnings revisions for next year have come down about 8% in the last five months. And you have analysts out there saying they're going to come down another 10%, another 20%. But if you look at the last five periods, the stock market bottomed six to 12 months ahead of the trough in earnings. So if you do believe earnings are going to come down 10 to 20%, that's not a reason to stay out. Historically, that's a reason to start to add in the highest quality stocks. And I think that's something that investors should remember too, right? I mean, typically the stock market is six to nine months ahead of kind of where Main Street usually is, right? You got it exactly. It's a discounting mechanism. So everyone looking for the recession, they're looking forward at the gloom that's going to happen, but they're not looking back at the 20 
25% peak to trough correction we had in the S&P already, the 33 some odd percent correction in the NASDAQ. So I think it's the time to start to ease into the highest quality stocks that are on sale, and there's a lot of them out there. Okay, what are some of the highest quality stocks that people should be biting at for maybe some of these Black Friday deals. Well, you know, I, I follow Warren Buffett. I, I think it's really interesting. While most managers were sitting, sucking their thumbs, worried, waiting for China to, to invade Taiwan, Warren Buffett went in with $4 billion and he bought Taiwan Semiconductor. That's yeah. trading at 13 and a half times forward earnings. It has a five-year earnings growth rate of 21.5% moving forward. They have a moat around their business. You look at Amazon. Amazon's been cut in half. Why? They overspent on warehouses during COVID. They thought that would, they extrapolated that forward. That was going to happen forever. They're cutting those costs back. Amazon's going to be fine. We saw Disney with Bob Iger. That's another stock down 55%. They've got a huge moat. If you look three to four years out, are more people going to go to the parks or less people? More subscribers on Disney Plus. The subscribers grew. The parks grew 36% in the most recent quarter year on year. Uh, the problem was the spend on Disney Plus, and they took care of that by getting rid of Bob Chapek and bringing back in Bob Iger, and he's going to bring some great creativity. So how do we make sense of the Disney stock price move, though? Because it was initially up with yeah. a, a nice pop on the surprise Iger news, but then I do see it is down today. Yeah, well, it's the knee-jerk reaction. Then it's a, then the, the next step is, what's the plan? What are you going to do for the $27 million that they're, that they're giving you over the next few years? And I think Bob will, will certainly be out in the next couple of weeks with that plan. And I think the market will be very comfortable moving forward. He has the relationships. He's going to invest in, in creative content. And he's going to cut the costs uh, at Disney Plus to make, make it worthwhile. So let's talk about the dreaded R word, recession. Yeah. Does your forecast imply a recession, Tom, on the horizon? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you, we may have already had it, and, and, and it hasn't been declared yet. You know, first two quarters of this year, negative GDP growth, right. as you know. The third quarter, X one one-off exports, uh, we also had a negative 0.6%, even though the, the headline number was plus 2.7. Those were one-off energy products. So we may have already had three consecutive quarters. What would happen to the market if, if next week Niber came out and said, oh, by the way, we did have a recession in the first half of this year, and people are in all this cash, highest cash level since the great financial crisis. Right. The market would take off. And that's not to say that won't happen, but even if we do have a recession moving forward, uh, I think a lot of that may already be discounted into stock prices uh, of high-quality companies, and there's opportunity here. So uh, going back to some of these retail results that we've been yeah. getting, and we'll have Nordstrom here on the docket momentarily, double-digit pops. Now, is that just a case that so much bad news was baked in? Yeah, I mean, the pessimism level is so palpable right now, and the consumer is really strong. They still got a ton of savings left over. The average homeowner has $207,000 of equity. That's across the entire country. They've got record savings still. I know you're seeing the credit card spending move up, but the consumer is still in good shape. And that's why our base case is a softer landing, maybe a below-trend growth for next year, but yeah. not necessarily a recession. And even if we have it, a lot of it's certainly priced in with, with great stocks. So look into your crystal ball, Tom, yeah, uh -oh, okay? okay. <laughs> Got to dust it off. Dust it off. Um, when does the stock market finally turn around? When can we see a bottom? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unclear. You know, he who picks bottom gets stinky finger. However... Uh, it's, we may have already seen it. I mean, we had the bottom in, in June. We had the retest in October, that, yeah. you know, and we actually uh, uh, went below that. I wouldn't be wholesale buying the indices. I would be buying the highest quality blue chip companies that have been cut in half on sale, like the Disney's, like the Amazon's, maybe the Taiwan Semiconductor if you're a little risky. Now that the dollar's coming down, international stocks, stocks are going to st start to come back and play in the next 12 months. 
so there are opportunities. There are a lot of things to do out there. Okay, we'll have to come you, uh, have you back on the show to talk about this international stocks because still so many questions, right, yes. about Europe. Yeah, um, no question. Amid this invasion, but perhaps some deals to be had. So yeah. Thomas Hayes, chair at Great Hill Capital. Thomas, thank you. Thanks for having me, Kristen. All right, and come. Okay, so uh, I covered most of this in the, the clip with Kristen, but I want to emphasize some some key points here that weren't covered. I like this post here from we've covered the bullishness of post midterm election, and we got an additional benefit in that it wound up in a gridlock outcome, which means no new taxes, spending or big regulation. No spending means the Fed only has to fight one front, which is uh, supply driven inflation, which is already rolling over on its own versus, um, you know, $1.7 trillion of additional spending that they were trying to overcome while they were putting out another fire in the last 12 months, which is why they've been, they were ineffective for so long, even with the emergency rate hikes. Not to mention that everything takes a lag basis. But Brian Dietrich did point out one thing. Uh, the past 10 times the House majority was less than 20 seats. The S&P was higher nine of those times. Uh, since World War II, higher than 80% of the time. Uh, not get sure if it gets as simple as gridlock is good, but it sure doesn't appear to be bad. So the average return in the 12 months based on the political election uh, is 15.4, but the median is 19.5. It's higher 80% of the time. The other thing that uh, Ryan put out, which I thought was very, very interesting, is there's something called the presidential cycle where th there's a tendency during the four years in the period between major elections that the market performs in a certain way. And the worst of those years is the midterm election year, which was this year. And no surprise, we had a terrible year in equity markets. Um, but moving forward, the... Uh, of the 13 post-World War II recessions, there was there was not one recession that started in a pre-election year. So next year is a pre-election year for the 2024 election, and zero out of the 13 post-World War II uh, recessions started in that year. And I said in jest to Kristen, but there's something there may be something to it. I said, what do you think would happen with all these managers in cash? Uh, and underweight equities and in their bunker holes like they were during the pandemic lows and the great financial crisis lows. If NIBR, National Bureau of Economic Research, came out in the next couple of weeks and declared, oh, by the way, we had a recession in the first half of this year. Remember, we had two negative quarters of GDP growth and the third quarter was actually negative. If you back out one-time exports for energy products, you actually had a negative 6.6%. Uh, what would happen to their positioning for all the people that are uh, underweight right now, waiting for the recession to come, and it was already in the rearview mirror, uh, you would see a chase like you've never seen before. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but um, it is certainly not outside the question. So Lizanne Saunders, uh, okay, this is a supply chain inflation we just referenced rolling over on its own. So the Fed's job is getting done for it. The spending is going to be stopped. The, this is stopped. Um GDP now estimate is strong for Q4 at 4.2% currently. Consumer strong with higher than savings in previous recessions. That's why the soft landing case is, uh, is still relevant. Uh, retail sales still above trend. Inflation has peaked. We've covered ad infinitum. 
Uh, Fed is going to slow. Mary Daly said that the market's already, financial conditions are already as tight as if they had raised to 6%. So Bullard can go take a hike talking about his 5 to 7%. Uh, I think they're set, setting the stage for uh, easier conditions. But this chart we've covered for the last three weeks uh, of this podcast. And the reason that we continue to cover this over and over and over, because I think it's the most important chart that I've ever posted. And that is history shows the stock market bottoms well before earnings. In most cases, the S&P 500 had recovered to new highs by the time earnings bottomed six to 12 months later, 1957, 1974, 1982, by the way, 1990, 2009, and 2020. So um, we've gone through that. So those calling for a recession next year may be right, but with a 25% peak to trough in the S&P, much of the pain has already been priced in. The market's a discounting mechanism. Just as it crashed before the economic pain, earnings deterioration, it will rise well ahead of the economic recovery. In other words, the stock market can go up as the Fed achieves its goal of putting people out of work. So, um, and that's why we talk about markets bottom on high multiples, not low multiples. Why? Because the market's already recovered while earnings are still going down. The market has already recovered while earnings are still going down. The market has already recovered while earnings are still going down. So uh, market's already recovered while earnings are still going down. So you've got higher, much higher price, much lower earnings. But what earnings are the market discounting when the multiple, you could have a 30 multiple or a 40 multiple. And that's where everyone's getting missed. Everyone on the you know, uh, shows that you watch are saying the same thing. Maybe we can go to 4,100. Maybe we can go to 4,150 after we've already moved up from 3,600 and they were all calling for 2,900 and 3,200 was consensus. Now they're saying maybe we can go to 4,100. Why are they saying maybe? Because earnings estimates are only expected to grow 6% and most analysts are saying they're going to come down another 10 to 20%. And they say, well, if that happens, then the multiple is going to be like 25. That's impossible. Every single time this happens, the multiple is 20, 25 or 30 because earnings get kitchen synced and uh, price expands. But by the time you're here and the multiple is 30 or 40, uh, you're already looking at forward earnings, which are higher than the previous peak. And, and then the market can start to look at forward earnings, which while current may be 30 or 40 and they seem ridiculous, forward may be back down to 16 or 17 uh, with, with, uh, with rates normalizing. And that starts to look a lot more realistic. And that's why you see a follow through with the rally after that initial pullback. Like, wow, we're, we're ahead of ourselves. We're ahead of ourselves. That'll be the next thing that you hear as the market goes up. We're getting ahead of ourselves. This can't keep going. And that's what we call climbing the wall of worry. Um, here's a positioning from Deutsche Bank. That's just a different view of what we've been saying about the cash positioning tech positioning. That's the same reason we went into some semis last, last week. Every time you bought tech, when managers were this underweight, you made money, be fearful when others are greedy, be greedy when uh, others are fearful. That's what Buffett did with Taiwan semiconductor. He not only did the two most hated China risk and tech risk. And, and worst of all, semi-risk, when everyone's on TV talking about glut, 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 he's looking through to the other side uh, and winning. So, um, you know, managers, biggest fear of a recession. Well, here's the last time they had that fear. The bottom was already in. Um, and here is 1982. Carter put this together after watching uh, Tom Lee on CNBC, uh, basically mimicking this. In, in 1982, the S&P fell 27%. In October... 
Uh, Volker said, he, uh, October 5th, 1982, Volker said, we may shift tactics. Today's Fed minutes were a version of that. Maybe we'll get it in actuality in on December 14th. Uh, market will have already run up a bit, and then it takes off once they actually signal that. Inflation was still close to 7% uh, at the time that the market bottomed, and 6.5% when he said those famous words, may shift tactics. So I think Powell needs to shift from keep at it, his favorite Volcker hero phrase, to the new hero favorite phrase, may shift tactics. So from keep at it to may shift tactics. And I think this is the type of thing you're going to see with all the cash on the sidelines. Multiples will get ridiculous based on trough in short-term trough earnings. Because remember, and what's really going to throw people off is the economy might continue to get worse while the market's going up and the multiples are going up and everyone's going to be screaming on TV because they were underweight and they missed it, that this is not sustainable. We're going to go test again, blah, blah, blah. The Fed's going to squash this. It's going to be everything and the market's going to just keep going up and people can't figure out why. And I'm telling you why, because that's what happens every single time. The problem is, is people are stuck in recency bias. And the only thing that people can see right now is that this is 2000 again, because a couple tech stocks rolled over. This has to be 2000 all over again. And they're stuck in that recency bias. And everyone believes that we're going to bottom next March because we bottomed in March in 2009 and we bottomed in March in 2020. And I can assure you that based on that recency bias, I guarantee we could have a new low. It won't be in March. That I can guarantee you. Uh, and my bet is we don't. And that's going to, that's maximum F fill in the blanks, C K E R Y. Uh, and that's, that's what the market is designed to do, cause the most pain to the most amount of people. So, uh, you know, 40% rally off the lows and then it kept, you know, increasing another 25% above all time highs. Uh, and no one's positioned for that. So that that's max pain moving forward. Um, now, what's the risk? The risk is the leading economic indicators. Is the Fed looking at this? Because, you know, this has a pretty good history, if they don't turn this around quickly and pivot, of yielding recessions. Now, ideally, we already had the recession for two or three quarters from Q1 to Q3 or Q1 and Q2. And we'll see this gray line pop up uh, retrospectively. And um, in which case this would make perfect sense and they'll, and they'll turn it around or it could even get worse before it gets better. But the stock market, the pain in the stock market troughs before the pain in the economy. So expect worse employment numbers, um, meaning more people are going to be unemployed. That was the Fed's goal. Uh, inflation will roll over. Uh, economy will slow. GDP will come down. But the stock market can go up anyway. And uh, for everyone saying, well, the yield curve is inverted. Therefore, we are going to have a recession you know, the the um the best example of this when you compare inflation to inflation was 1982 the yield curve inverted again and if you go back from 78 and so on it had inverted a few times you got your uh drawdown in the markets it inverted again at the lows just like we're having now uh and then it took off so this one's going to fake people out too why is it going to fake people out because they're going to look at 2020 20, 2009, 2000, they're going to look at the most recent cases, get stuck in recency bias and not look at the most salient cases, which is an inflation fire fight and what happened. And ironically, the max drawdown during the biggest inflation fight in history of the S&P was 27. We fell over 25, I think 25.6 peak to trough. So we're kind of right in there. We've started the bottom. And once we get that May shift tactics shift from the uh, keep at it, 
we're, we, we are going to be from an equity standpoint, not an economic standpoint, an equity standpoint, probably on to better days. And the, uh, the emergency hiking cycle looks similar. Um, what will work in 2023? This is a reversion trend. If you look year by year, usually that which does the worst tends to do much better than the next year, certainly the next two years. Um, and uh, this year, the, the worst two were emerging markets and REITs. Our bet is that, oh, and when you get the rare instances where you have two years of, of something doing bad, like you had emerging markets in 21 and 22, take a look at um, uh, U.S. Treasuries in 2009 and 2010. 2011, it was the best performing asset. Um, and then MSCIEAFE, uh, horrible 2021-2022 was the second best performing asset in 2023. So not just one year, two years. So our bet would be you want to, I, I think REITs make sense because uh, rates are going to normalize. You're seeing the long end of the curve now well below four and um, no one wants them because, you know, everything you read is how home prices are coming down. Well, they went up 70%. So if they come down 30%, it's not the end of the world, especially since it happened in like the span of 24 months. Uh, and then uh, emerging markets. So emerging markets as high as weight is China. And um, EAFE. So, you know, I, th I think it sets up for non-US as, as the outperformance, and that's how we're positioned, uh, and that's a function of the dollar. So we like all that. Uh, sentiment's getting a little bit better. Uh, positioning's getting a little bit better. I, I think this will have come down this week, uh, and then they'll have to chase back up. So so that's that. want to cover a couple of things. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of Old value investors that were special situations and mean reversion have really moved to this uh, idea of buying high quality businesses, Thomas Phelps. A lot of that has been because of current recency bias. In the last 10 years, it was the first time in history you could buy um, long duration assets and outperform. And when I say long duration, I'm now referring to companies trading at 10 times sales or greater uh, and actually outperform the S&P 500 historically. If someone said to me, hey, I've just inherited $20 million. I want to lose it as fast as possible. I'd say, no problem. Just buy a basket of companies trading at 10 times sales and you'll lose 90% of your money over the next decade. Uh, that wasn't the case in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, it worked because of abnormally low interest rates. So everyone's now jumped on this quality bandwagon. And I think there's something to be said for it in terms of high return on capital businesses, generating cash, growing cash, consistent growers. Uh, etc. I still think to get out performance, you, you need special situations because you're not getting five or 10 baggers over a few years uh, with this, but you may get 10 baggers over 10 or 20 years. And that's what this book is about, the Thomas Phelps book. I've referenced it before. It's very useful. But the reason I bring this up is there was an article in Bloomberg <coughs> by Jacob Sunshine that says, not in Bloomberg, in Barron's, that says five stocks with potential to rise 10 times in price. And so there was a note by Alliance Bernstein um, researching how to find these stocks and found that about 48% of the 175 instances of five baggers and 10 baggers since 1980 are tech. Okay, so that's quasi in line with what we saw uh, in the slides last week from Fundsmith. But uh, Fundsmith was more uh, dealing with return on invested capital and uh, higher returns over time and outperforming. Um, but those were, those were the multi baggers. 
And so theoretically, a stock could rise tenfold over years and years, making the annualized return nothing special. Ten baggers that happen over a period of five years return 58% annually. Uh, and the 10-year time frame implies 26% annual return. So uh, the easy way to get there is just look for businesses that are consistently returning 26% return on capital and doing it over a long time and still are, are not bumping up against the law of large numbers. Um, but here, uh, within tech, these five names not only have future solid profit growth, but have historically traded valuations that are too cheap at their starting point of their tenfold returns. On average, the forward starting price earnings multiple is between 14 to 17 times, fairly close to a long-term average for the S&P 500. That means these stocks are initially undervalued given their growth. Uh, they're also profitable to begin with. So good starting point. But I, I, you know, I, he definitely got me with the headline. Uh, and then he had another article, where to find stocks that'll rise 10 times, uh, within five years. He covered that. And he's basically saying, Again, that 48% were in tech in the last 40 years, which was probably skewed, obviously, by the late 90s. But leaving that aside, I wanted to go through a few of these names because um, I think a lot of these could be one and two baggers. I don't think that they could be 10 baggers uh, in any reasonable amount of time. And so let's just start with a few of them because I want to walk you through how I think about this and you might find it helpful. Uh, so here's EA Sports. It's already up 15, 15 times in the last 10 years. Right there for me, it would be a pass. Um, but let's just put it in and take a look at how the business is growing. So if you look back here, this is EA Going back to 1995. So, um, you know, they were a consistent grower. If you look at gross margins are near record highs. So that's a good thing. 75% gross margin is a great thing. Revenues have consistently grown. That's a good thing. Uh, cash flow got hammered during 2008 to 2010, but it's recovered. Um, and cash from operations. So it's, it's a grower. I mean, let's take a look here. Um, All right, so EA So they're slowly growing revenues and gross profit. Let's see. Oh, okay. If I make that too big, you're not going to be able to see it. So uh profitable, let's take a look at their cash flow. So growing cash. And they've just now started being a high return on capital business in the last two years. So, you know, something like this, it's like, this is, is like a good business, but I don't know that it's going to be another 10 bagger over the next 10 years after being a 10 bagger already. It's certainly possible, but I think that that exaggerates it. So let's look at um, 
Juniper Networks. I don't think we're going to have time to do all of them, but um, okay. So Juniper has been temporarily impaired by COVID. They've been a consistent grower of free cash flow. Up until the last three years, it troughed in 2020. It's now recovering. Their gross profit margin has shrunk, but it's still at you know 57 down from 68 about a decade ago. Their revenues are kind of flattish. Um, but the stock is more like a coiled spring and it's kind of done nothing since the tech wreck. This reminds me more of like the Microsoft. I'm not comparing it to a Microsoft quality business, but it's uh, it's more subdued. And um, if we look at the issue I have with Juniper is that the revenues. So they've had, you know, they have a consistent history of single digit return on capital. It's very hard. <laughs> so so th this is the core problem. It's very hard for a business that generates a single digit return on capital over the long term to generate a 26% return on, you know, return in the stock compounded over the next 10 years to be a 10 bagger in any reasonable amount of time. And we just don't see this changing. If anything, the trend has, has diminished from uh, 2015 to 2016. So something like this is more like a one or two bagger potentially, but it seems at the present stage, like a modest quality business. I mean, the top line has been basically flat. It's kind of a commodity business. They do like wireless network, leading provider, high performance network infrastructure, uh routing switching wi-fi network security software it's like me too kind of stuff um but that's not to say it can't get to 50 dollars or whatever break out and start to run and maybe ex earnings accelerate but again you know to say that this thing's going to be a 10 bagger when it's compounding capital at seven six seven and eight percent is unrealistic um and that's how you can separate the sizzle from the stake and in all of these five names uh while there might be some sizzle and some of them might be one or two baggers i don't see how okay so this one on semiconductor uh has just out of nowhere started uh generating a high return on capital um let's see on semi and it's also a 10 bagger in the last two years so could it be another 10 bagger from here? Yes, but I, I don't chase things up. I want to I want to find things when they're like this. You know, this is kind of what Juniper looked like looks like now, what on looked like in 2016 before it went off on a 10 bagger. Um and again, you have to look at them on a case by case basis. Like what of these businesses, DXC, has a real moat? That's going to command um, 
you know, 10 baggers. So here was a stock in 2011. Why didn't Barron's write about it when it was at $5 and it went to $95 over the next five years? Uh, let's take a look at that DXC. And the reason I'm doing this is number one, the headline caught my attention. And number two, I went through those five stocks a couple of weeks ago for a good friend and a lot of people gave me feedback that that was really helpful for them. So I'm hoping this is equally helpful. Okay, so this DXC. This is more like a special situation than a than a biz, than a DXC. Because to get most of these 10 baggers over the long term, you need super high quality businesses that you have to hold for a long time. And these things are showing me that they're cyclical. You know, when you look at free cash flow and it's just like, you know, it looks like a EKG, you know, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. You want steady growth. I'll show you what a compounding business looks like. As a matter of fact, I was talking about this one with a friend. Um, the good news is this is one of the greatest compounders since the 1900s. The bad news is, is it grows at high single digits. So this is kind of like you want to own this or treasury bonds, but, um, this is what a high quality business looks like. Cash flow just grows and grows and grows through cycles, market corrections. They don't care. The business is growing and growing and growing. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is one we were looking at recently. Um, Church and Dwight. They have a brand moat. They sell um, Arm and Hammer. They sell Oxy. They sell condoms. They sell uh, birth control tests. They get them on both sides. They sell, um, you know, and this is a just consistent double-digit return on invested capital. So Munger has said this before. It's very hard for a business to consistently generate double digit returns on capital and uh, the stock not eventually catching up to that level of compound annual growth rate. And that's our basis behind Alibaba. You know, uh, as you saw in the press release, you know, revenues have grown 12 times since 2014, uh, uh, free cash flow four times, and you can buy it at less than 2014 prices. So eventually that compound is built up, it's coiled. Not to say it wasn't expensive in 2014, but it wasn't that expensive relative to the growth and relative to the current price, relative to what the cloud's going to do, relative to the value of Ant Financial. Oh, and by the way, you get one of the best e-commerce businesses in China and Southeast Asia for free. So um, so that's how you kind of discern and cut through the noise. Um, and for better understanding, you can read a book like this for the long, long-term type of uh, thinking. But... It's why we like to do a combination of quality and we really like special situations because when things get compressed abnormally in the short term, you can make those 5 and 10x returns in a much shorter period of time. When you're buying the DXCs of the world after it dropped 60% in 2012, that's set up for the 20-bagger plus over the next five years. Uh, similar thing that we're doing with Cooper Standard, similar thing we're doing to Alibaba. That's kind of our knitting uh, um, that we do over and over and over. So um, this today was also positive. Part of the reason the market was up as well was the continuing jobless claims were worse than expected. So that uh, that bodes pos positively for a bad jobs report 
first week of December, which is before the Fed meeting, uh, which will force their hand to obviously go 50 basis points and tone down the hawkishness. Um, and the initial jobless claims were worse than expected. They, they had expected 225. They now get 240. So the Fed can start to say, we're seeing the weakness that we expected. We're seeing the demand destruction that we were going for. And, uh, and then we'll get some more inflation numbers that, uh, in line with everything we've been talking about. Um, couple of uh, earnings, uh, industrials uh, for this year down 2.58, for next year down 3.99. I think a lot of that's currency related. So we're also going to probably see some benefit as the dollar stabilizes for these earnings that no one's expecting. Uh, and uh, exploration and production top 30 weights uh, were up 76 basis points and for this year down 87 basis points for next year. But a lot of that's already priced in as we've covered in recent weeks. So with that said, I want to wish everyone a thank, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in this week, this shortened, busy week. Uh, wishing the best for you and your family. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.